fortunate to have Colin O'Brady joining us in the podcast. Colin's an incredible human being that's done some amazing things. And today he's going to walk us through how you can imagine extraordinary success for yourself and the ability to overcome the common pitfalls in that process. Colin has just published his book, The 12-Hour Walk, and we're lucky to have him today. Yeah, this was a really powerful conversation. So without further ado, Colin O'Brady. Well, we are so excited to have Colin O'Brady on the podcast today. Colin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to being here and chatting with you guys. Yeah, Colin, thanks so much. I'm, I'm going to give a, a little bit of an intro, uh, but I'd love to, to hear from you and anything else you want to share from, from your background. But uh, give me a second here while I list off this incredibly impressive set of accolades <laughs> that you have here. So Colin is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, an elite endurance athlete, a world-first solo crossing of the Antarctica, has a world-first ocean row across the Drake Passage. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's South America to Antarctica. Has summited Everest twice, specializes in mindset. He is also, in case that wasn't enough, a television host, an executive producer, and an entrepreneur who has built and sold multiple companies, a keynote speaker, and last but certain, certainly not least, a New York Times bestselling author. Colin, that is impressive, man. You have been up to a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say, can we just cross it all out and says, is a total badass yeah. <laughs> resume. You guys are too kind. That's one hell of an intro. I appreciate that. That's, that's very nice. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah, thanks so much, man. And what did we miss? Like, what else you been up to? What's what, where, where are you from? Where do you live? Yeah, I uh, I'm coming to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming today. Uh, so the mountains. This is where I, I live full time. But I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So I grew up uh, in Portland, Oregon, and have kind of lived all over the world and the the country. So kind of uh, inhabited several different pockets, but find myself uh, happily nestled in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, for the time being in the foreseeable future. That's awesome, and. You've done so much. Like, where does the motivation come from for you and, and all of these in, incredible things you've accomplished? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think it's, of course, it's been iterative over time. You know, I didn't just, you know, come out of the gate, you know, trying to walk across Antarctica by myself, pulling a 375-pound sled. You know, that was obviously built on the back of several other things um, that preceded that, both both successes and failures. I've certainly had uh, what you don't what you don't list on a resume like that, right, is the the 100 other things that you tried that totally didn't work out. <laughs> so yeah. There's, yeah, there's been plenty of those along the way. But I love to say, I love to say winners lose the most, uh, meaning, you know, people that are you getting after it, you know, you read a resume uh, of anyone. And I've never found that person that has sort of success in whatever realm they're looking at that doesn't like, oh, well, yeah, there was the 10 other businesses I started before that that completely failed or the, you know, the, the five other things I tried before the one thing that stuck. So, um, you know, I've certainly had my ups and downs. But my own motivation, I think, you know, it's twofold. I think it, it comes... Uh, with a deep curiosity around pushing the the human body and the human mind, kind of finding the edges of human potential in my own self. And that has definitely evolved and grown into taking those lessons from crossing Antarctica solo, from pushing my mountain, my body in mountains and high risk environments um, to now really using that knowledge and wisdom to inspire others to, you know, what I like to say, conquer their own Everest. I get it that most people don't want to go freeze their butt off in the middle of Antarctica <laughs> by themselves or climb Everest. But, you know, what you guys are passionate about talking about in this podcast is people finding their edge, right? You know, finding the the habits, the productivity, the the mindset that can get them up the summit of their own dreams. And this new book that I'm coming out with, The 12-Hour Walk, um, really comes from that place. You know, it's got this kind of one, one singular call to action um, that I think can really ignite significant change in people in a short period of time. So that's, you know, that, that motivation kind of keeps me going as well as that, you know, the personal motivation, but the motivation to share um, and inspire others along the path. I love that. It's like a, a deeper purpose for you. And that that's at the core of, of what we really teach, which which is this ability to, you know, identify a greater purpose for yourself and what is what we call like your big one thing. And being able to have this this big vision for yourself, but then, you know, go small in, in your ability to identify the things that if you achieve them would make that that purpose fulfilled or that that big goal possible. And I want to I want to ask you some questions there. And like for you, how do, how do you find your purpose? And you talked about in now having the ability to share this with others. And do you have any like intentional processes or, or things that you do to help you align your purpose or figure out what that is? 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that it's important to have that that driving purpose. Um, I I actually I. It, it's apropos for this conversation. Um, I, I opened my new book, The 12 Hour Walk, with with an anecdote, with a story from my own life about this, which was, you know, pretty stark for me. Um, you know, I, I'll, tell, I'll tell the story, a short version of it anyways, which is I was uh, doing a public speaking event in New York City for a, a bunch of, uh, you know, Wall Street guys, 500 people or something like that. But they invited me the night before the speech to kind of be with a small group of, of CEOs and, you know, business leaders in the financial sector. So I, I end up at this, you know, kind of fancy Manhattan penthouse, which um, candidly is a funny environment for me to be in. I'm certainly comfortable in most environments, but I remember at the doorman, literally, I'm wearing a black t-shirt and jeans and say, oh, I'm expecting the penthouse. And he's like, are you with catering? Like, you need to go around the back. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, uh, I don't think you belong here, son. Um, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be here and check the address. So they let me up anyways. And I walk into this room and it's full of, you know, eight or eight or 10 people. Um, and they're all, you know, they're, they're older gentlemen, all dressed in, you know, custom tailored suits, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollar watches, you know, just very, you know, outwardly successful in the context of certainly financial resources. And we have a conversation over dinner. Um, you know, and they're very curious, you know, what was it like to pull a sled across Antarctica solo? You know, did you see any dead bodies on Everest? You know, they're, they're very engaged with, um, sort of these adventures that I've been on. I'm sharing from them just authentically about my passion for doing these things. The one question that I love to ask people, which I think is perfect for what you guys talk about, the one thing is I asked them, but what's your Everest? You know, my, my childhood dream was to climb Everest. I've been fortunate to do that twice. Uh, and then I also have to continue to ask myself that question. Well, I've climbed Everest. So what's my next Everest? What's my next goal? Really, what's my next purpose? Not just about achievement, right? Your Everest can be, you know, family, music, entrepreneurship, love, right? It's not, it's not just about, you know, external achievement. And I asked this question. It's been a kind of this back and forth conversation in this room of, you know, very you know, confident guys. And the room goes silent fall silent. I'm like, uh, did I say something wrong? You know, just kind of this awkward pause. And then we move past it, you know, kind of it's forgotten. Okay. I guess you guys don't want to talk about that. And as I'm walking to leave, um, that night is a few years ago, I'm about to take the elevator down. This older gentleman pulls me aside. I had to guess he was 75, 80 years old. And he says, Hey, before you leave, I just wanted to apologize. I said, Oh, for what? And he goes, you asked a really insightful question about purpose, about fulfillment, about our efforts. Um, and no one really wanted to give you a straight answer. And then he looked at me kind of with, without an ounce of bluster. And he says to me, he goes, you know, Colin, I've made more money than you can possibly imagine, but there's not a day that goes by that. I don't go back to this pond in upstate New York when I was a teenager at summer camp and daydream about the simplicity, about the peace, about the balance. And he goes, and then he kind of wistfully says this comment of, I wonder what would have happened in my life had I had the gumption to ask myself, what's my Everest throughout my life rather than now as an 80 year old man. And I share that story here. And I open I opened the book with that story because it just really struck me as, I don't know, sort of this quintessential moment where you can look at somebody externally and be like, this person has it all. They've had it all figured out or whatever. But if whatever the external expression of that is, isn't in alignment with purpose, right? Isn't in alignment with their own personal narrative, their own uh, uh, fulfillment drivers, right? Whatever that might be, then it's not necessarily a fulfilling life, right? And so again, how do I find that myself? I have constantly continued to ask myself that question through various phases of my life. And that has that question has led me to quitting jobs that seem like on a more, you know, easy path that has led me to, like I said, failing and trying things that haven't worked out. Um, but it's also kept me on the path of always asking myself that question rather than settling for the status quo or certainly settling for a life that somebody else wanted me to live rather than living my own purpose. I'm a little speechless because I was so overwhelmed by how powerful that story is because even in my age and just sitting back and thinking, well, what's my Everest? And and I'm sure that resonates a lot with the listener of what's, we say, what's your one thing? What's your Everest? Um, and it it's very powerful to be thinking about that and know that if you set goals for yourself and you're clear about how you want to achieve them, what they are, what they mean to you, and you have that self-awareness, you can really do anything. Like when your parents tell you you can do anything, you truly can. It's almost the mindset that gets in the way of 
of you and your and your goals. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That was very powerful. No, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and I love what you say there about mindset and parents because my, my mom has certainly played a, a significant role. People ask her, you know, they're like, you must be worried about colonies walking around across Antarctica by himself or is up on this mountain. You must be so worried. And, you know, people have interviewed her and asked that question. And she goes, you know, and I didn't grow up with a lot of money, a lot of financial resources as a kid. And they go, what's the secret, you know, as a parent? And she goes, you know, careful what you wish for when you tell your kids since they were born and whisper it in their ear, they can do anything they set their mind to, right? You know, she really instilled that uh, in me throughout my life. And it's actually a core concept of this book and a core concept of my life. It's something that I got a term I've kind of coined called a possible mindset. And I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. You know, the believe in the limitless, the the believe in, you know, the highest level of potential within all of us. And it's so easy and it's common, myself included, to have those those negative feedback loops, right? You know, those limiting beliefs, you know, I'm not strong enough. Uh, You know, what if I fail? What if people criticize me? You know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. You know, that's common, right? But as you can shift that mindset and the 12-hour walk is really focused on giving people a single day take home that allows them to unlock that possible mindset and rewrite those limiting beliefs. And that to me ultimately makes all the difference. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready to eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Do you feel like the conversation you had with that gentleman, you know, also made him reflect on what his Everest actually looks like, right? Because for those people listening, they might their Everest might be writing a book or maybe their Everest is even smaller than that. And how do you empower your readers to know that it doesn't matter the size of the Everest as long as you are clear on what that is and you know, don't lose sight of it because I think we can get lost in this. Everybody else has amazing things. Everybody has, you know, all the money in the world and and it, you got to reel it back into what your Everest is. A hundred percent. You know, I, I love the quote that I don't know who said it, but comparison is the thief of joy, right? Um, it, it's, and I think in a lot of ways, this is what this, this elder gentleman was expressing to me was like, I kept doing this thing because other people were like, oh, that's great. You're making money. You're this, whatever. But he wasn't living his truth. His Everest may have been, you know, by a financial metric smaller, but in a sort of lifestyle perspective, greater, right? Like who's to say what's bigger or smaller or, or more and less important. The other way I like to frame that is, you know, I believe fundamentally that all human beings, we all can paint a masterpiece of our life, right? But the canvas we paint on is different. Look, I, I you know, have expressed a lot of my artistic uh, expression, so to speak, you know, at the ends of the earth and mountaintops. And, you know, I don't blame you if you don't want to go drag a 375 pound sled by yourself a thousand miles across Antarctica. Like that's, that's not for most people. Like that doesn't need to be your expression, but what is your canvas, right? What, what canvas are you painting on? What, what is your masterpiece? What is your Everest? Like that's the the truth. There's no right answer, you know, to that question. Um, and and I'll, I'll skip forward in terms of, you know, you asked me, how do I empower my readers? This book, each chapter breaks down different limiting beliefs. A lot of the ones that I mentioned before, I'm not strong enough, you know, what if I fail, et cetera, and tries to teach people how to shift towards a possible mindset. Now it's in a way that's not an academic textbook. It's through the lens of rich storytelling of rowing a boat across Drake passage and 40 foot swells and, you know, things that I've overcome in my own life, et cetera. So it's written from a, you know, a highly exciting narrative perspective, but at its core, there's this call to action, which is personal. 
which is to say like, but I don't like, I'm, I wrote this book. There's a ton of advice, a lot of wisdom in there, how to unlock your best life, how to invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. But at its core, there's a single call to action that invites people into their own life, into their own efforts, into their own hopes and dreams and goals. And we can talk about how I came up with this or the origin story, but I'll explain the premise. The the, the core call to action is as simple as, as the name of the book expresses, the 12-hour walk, which is take a day, put it on your calendar, walk out your front door, put your phone on airplane mode, and walk for 12 hours. No music, no podcasts, no external inputs. And the methodology is in literally, that's the whole thing. It's as simple as can be, but there, there's more to it. There's magic in the simplicity, which is that allows us to have a look at our own interior dialogue. And look, this is in a feat of endurance. You know, my 77 year old uh, mother-in-law has done the 12 hour walk. And what that looked like for her is she walked one time around her block in silence and then sat on her front porch for an hour and then walked another time. It doesn't matter if you walk for a mile or 50 miles or take as many breaks as you want. The exercise is embracing the stillness, embracing the silence so that you can allow those different thoughts, the good, the bad, the ugly, the negative, the intuition, all of that to bubble up. But through the course of taking that 12 hours, you get in touch with your own personal mission, your own Everest, your own goals and ways to actually work towards it. It's very hard to be alone with yourself, particularly in a modern world where we have social media and phones and music and constant stimulus if we want to, right? That didn't used to be the case 100, 200, 300 years ago, right? But it certainly is the case now. You can be constantly distracted. But that distraction also allows you to get further away from your purpose, further away from your fulfillment. But what I've found in every single person I've known to take the 12-hour walk, it has had life-changing um, experience just in 12 hours because it's like, oh, I'm dealing with a big problem or I'm thinking, I don't have an Everest. Everyone else has the goals. I don't have that. Generally speaking, you spend that day, one day, it's not even a full day, it's 12 hours alone in your thoughts and your silence, strolling, moving your body outside. It's amazing how much can come up and come into focus that you can use to build on going forward from there. That's, that's amazing. And I, I can relate. Uh, I've, I had a similar experience. Granted, maybe not 12 hours, but I, I've, I've done some running. And I, one of the things I love most about about running is the the head time. I always, I always felt like it was meditation and just getting, even if it's 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, you know, upwards of four hours just in your own head to in, how frequently do you get that time to, to just be introspective. And so I can relate to what you're saying and I've seen the value of that. Is there, is there any advice you have for someone that maybe they could, if 12 hours you know, in Texas in the summer in 115 degree heat and, and, a, and a walk. Is there any advice you have for someone where maybe they could bite off a smaller chunk and maybe earn their way to that place? So I love that you asked the question. The short answer is that the prescription is 12 hours. I mean, it's, it's, it's meant, it's no, meant no to be shortcuts. that duration for a reason. Uh, but no, but here, here's, here's, what I'll, here's what I'll get to with that. And, we'll, and I'll explain kind of where this, this methodology comes from in a second, but I'll answer the question directly, which is, the 12 hour walk exercise happens. It begins right now. And what I mean by right now is literally you're listening to this podcast or you just responded to me with that question after I you know, gave you the, you know, the idea for a second to consider it. And your brain does an interesting thing immediately right now in this moment, right? Immediately either goes to, Oh, that's, that's amazing. I, you know, maybe 1% of people are listening and say, Oh, that's an amazing idea. I'm on my calendar tomorrow. Done. I'm in hundred percent. Like Jai dive. All okay, great. Welcome. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome to the community. Um, then 1% of people, maybe more think this Colin O'Brady guy, you know, he's full of shit. This is the worst idea I've ever heard. I'm <laughs> deleting this podcast right now. Right. Please Where don't I do that. Though. People, <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Where I think most people land is somewhere in the middle, right? They land in the middle, which is when I say this, this is the experience, the, the actual exercise is happening right now, which is I have suggested something to you, this 12 hour walk in silence that I'm mo likely certain uh, in most cases you've never done, right? This is outside most people's comfort zone. Most people, uh, when I say that question, what's the most time people will spend in silence? The average answer is like 30 minutes, maybe at some point. Like we are very rarely in that state of being, particularly with smartphones and things like that, right? And what happens in your brain right now is you start bargaining with yourself. You go, well, this is kind of interesting. Like, man, wow, maybe this could really be something that, that shakes me up and it gives me a huge advantage. Ah, oh, but you know, I don't have a lot of time or, you know, I live in Texas and it's summer and it's 115 degrees outside or any number of things. The point being, and I'm not picking on you, I'm totally joking around, but I'm serious about the exercise starting now is the 12 hour walk. What I found a byproduct of it is 
The suggestion of it is me holding up a mirror to you. This is me holding up a mirror to you in this moment. And whatever limiting beliefs are coming up in your mind, again, I'm not strong enough. What if people criticize me? What if I fail? What if it's too hot? I don't like being uncomfortable, et cetera. Whatever you're applying to the 12-hour walk and the first time you're hearing about it, it's actually most likely the same loop that you're looping on in all sorts of aspects of your life. It's potentially a way to laser sharp figure out what are the limiting beliefs that are holding me back from achieving my goals, from having the success that I dream of. And the reason that it's powerful is you have an option right now. That's why it's called limiting beliefs, right? These aren't limiting facts. These aren't limiting truths. These are limiting beliefs. Beliefs can be rewritten. We are the stories that we tell ourselves. And so you have a choice in this moment when you're bargaining with yourself to say, okay, I see the pushback. Yeah, Texas is hot in the summer. Maybe I should wait a month. Okay, reasonable, fine. But if that's the reason you don't do it, but if you push through that, you say, you know what? Actually, he's right. I'm going to put that on my calendar for this date, this time. I'm going to commit to it. And you complete the 12-hour walk. There's all sorts of byproducts. We'll talk about this, but specifically as relates to what I'm talking about right now. You get to the finish line. You're fulfilled at your front door. You're like, wow, I actually did this. A week later, that same limiting belief that's been on loop in your mind for months or years at a time pops up again. And you go, oh... Hello, hello, limiting belief. I see you. I remember last time you popped up. I almost didn't do the 12-hour walk because that popped in my head, but I did it. I did it, which means that I can push that aside this time, which means I can shift intentionally from this limiting belief to a possible mindset. And over time, the ripple effect of having proven that to yourself in this experiential way through something that's outside of your comfort zone like this walk allows you to quiet that limiting belief voice subtly, little by little, and grow the power and strength of that possible mindset. That's incredible. And I, I, you, you sold me. I'll go. I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm the 1%, I swear. So the so let's say, okay, we, we go on this 12-hour walk. And what comes from that is this, this clarity about my Everest. And I've, I've identified, okay, I, I've got a big why. I've got a big vision. It, it's, I've, I've, I've figured out my, my, my Everest relative to me. And in doing so, identified some limiting beliefs like you discussed. Or I've, I've, I've got to the end of this and I'm now I'm aware as it's showing up for me. Uh, how can we, what next steps would you recommend for someone how they can start to make steps towards achieving their, uh, their Everest with this, this knowledge and this insight that they now have? Yeah. So I think what, what's beautiful about this exercise um, is, like I said, it meets people where they're at, right? So there's there's different buckets of people. And like I said, I write, I write, uh, you know, I pulled lots of people, thousands of people, you know, my Instagram audience, you know, what are the 10 most common limiting beliefs? And like I, and I listed a bunch off already and the book revolves around that. We're not necessarily all dealing with all 10 all the time, right? You know, the certain three might resonate with you, different three might resonate with Sarah, et cetera, right? And also some people are in the different phase of their cycle towards their goals. There are people that are going, but what if I don't know what my Everest is? So the 12-hour walk is an exploration of that question. Well, I want to take this time in solitude and silence to actually explore what my purpose is. What is my Everest? Which is a great way to use this exercise. But there's a lot of people also who know the answer to that question before they start, right? They're like, my Everest is to write that book. My Everest is to start that business. But I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out how to, how to make the, take the first few steps, how to, how to actually you know, work through that. So the 12-hour walk itself can be used to work through some of those mindset tricks to empower them to actually start, not just answer what it is, but the how of it. So again, acknowledging that this is meeting people at different places intentionally. Um, But what I talked about before of that kind of that ripple effect, that, that, um, that power that we can gain by having better sense uh, of our interior dialogue, that closeness um, to truth, I think is, is ultimately what the magic is in the, in the 12 hour walk. You know, each one of those limiting beliefs comes up differently. So if the limiting belief of why you haven't achieved your efforts is, well, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. You know, I, I got a busy family. I got a busy life. I got, you know, kids and jobs and responsibilities, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's why you never start that business. I'm just using a random example here. Right. But you somehow commit to the 12-hour walk. You get the babysitter. You figure out a day off work. You make it happen. All of a sudden, in that person's context, what they have is this ripple effect empowering them to be like, oh, I've been making excuses about how I don't have enough time. I'm just not prioritizing my time effectively enough. I'm going to do this. Two hours every Tuesday, two hours every Thursday. I'm going to work on my side hustle until it becomes my main hustle, right? That would be one example of that. So, you know, you, you get through that, that time quotient, right? Like that's what you solved in this moment. And then you can apply that moving forward. Or, you know, a common one, right? I don't have enough money. 
I don't have enough money. I, I would do this, but I, like you, you said, Sarah, oh, everyone else is richer than me. They have this. When I dreamed up my very first expedition, um, I was engaged to my wife in 2014. We're standing on a mountaintop. Thankfully, she said yes. Um, and in this sort of naive moment of a newly engaged couple, I, we allowed ourselves this exercise, right? This exercise of a possible mindset. Let's let's forget about all the limitations of our life. And like, if we could do anything, what would we do? And at the time, I'd been racing triathlon professionally for a number of years. And I was kind of thinking about transitioning that. I had failed to make the Olympics, which was my goal. There was a path for me to keep racing for a number of years longer. And I said, I went back to this childhood dream. You know, I've always wanted to climb Everest and push my body in the mountains. To keep in mind, I wasn't like an expert mountaineer at this point. You know, I had done some hikes and a few little lower, smaller climbs. And so I started being like, well, I'd climb Everest, but I also want to climb the seven summits, the tallest mountain in each of the seven continents. I want to go to the North Pole. I want to go to the South Pole. There's this thing called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is all of those things. The seven summits plus the North and South Pole, fewer than 50 people in history at that point had ever completed that. And I thought, what if I could do all that? What if I could do it in world record time? This is me just dreaming, like, you know, with a reckless abandon. Record time. I could set a world record. That'd be super cool. Like I could do it all in four months. And then Jen and I start riffing more and we're like, what had fallen short for me with triathlon, although I love that phase of my life of being a professional athlete, there's a whole other backstory to that coming off a a serious burn injury where I was burning a fire in Thailand and told I would never walk again normally. So we can talk about that if you want, but uh, fast forwarding, we're on this mountaintop and we're dreaming with this possible mindset. And Jen and I were like, well, the triathlon chapter was amazing, but what it lacked was impact beyond ourselves. If I won a race, you know, a few sponsors were happy. If I lost, I was disappointed in myself, a few sponsors were bummed, but didn't have like a large breadth. And we thought maybe if we do this world record project and, and kind of scope it out the right way, we can have impact beyond ourselves. And so Jen and I have always been pop- you know, passionate about nonprofit initiatives. We're like, we're going to start this nonprofit. It's going to be for kids, inspiring them to reach their Everest, to get outside, move their body, live active and healthy lives, combat childhood obesity, you know, things that we're really passionate about, health, wellness, mental health, et cetera. And we're on this mountaintop. And then eventually, of course, like any mountain, you have to walk back down off the mountaintop, both the, uh, the emotional peak arc as well as the physical space. And we get back to our one bedroom apartment in Portland, Oregon. And we quickly realized this, this expedition, this Explorers Grand Slam that I dreamed up is going to cost $500,000. It's not cheap to go to Everest and the logistics of helicopters to get you in the proximity of the North Pole so you can track. I mean, it's just complicated and really ridiculously expensive. And we're young. We're in our 20s. We've got like, you know, a few thousand dollars socked away. And this, this moment, we all know this moment. This is the moment where all ideas die. Like you're drinking beers with your buddy on a Saturday. You're like, oh, let's run a marathon in a few months and we're going to train for, you know, like whatever. And then it's like Monday morning, you text your friend. You're like, yeah, man, I had a few too many beers. Like I'm obviously not going to train for the marathon. Like that was stupid, right? Like it's just like you wake up, you're hungover and you're like, yeah. And in this sense, we were, you know, we weren't boozing too hard, although I'm sure we had a few drinks after we were engaged that night and had our fun. But the point being is that's where like reality sets in. Right. Those limiting beliefs that I'm like, what are you talking about? Explorers Grand Slam. Like, you've never climbed any mountains like Everest. Like, what? Like, what? Like, you don't have any money. Like, this is never going to work. And you're going to start a nonprofit. Like, who do you even know that like knows anything about 501c3 paperwork and lawyers? And like, you know, it's like, what? But instead, if you take it in the other direction, the possible mindset goes, I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off. Literally, I have no freaking idea. But I believe in abundance. I believe that if I put the energy towards working towards this incrementally, step-by-step every day, I'm going to somehow find a way to do this. And so for the next 18 months, Jenna and I committed to this. Again, we still had to you know, make income the other ways that we were making income at that phase in our life, keep a roof over our head. But we spent every spare minute we could for the next year and a half emailing people, you know, LinkedIn stalking people, trying to meet up people with copies. Who do you know about sponsorship? How do you know about funding? How can you start a nonprofit? Google, the, every single thing. And the first thousand doors we looked at, they all slammed in our face. No, no, you never, what the hell are you talking about? No, right? It's not going to work. But we kept at it. And I said that before, winners lose the most. You know, perseverance plus perseverance, failure plus perseverance equals success. And so the, the end of the story is we're pretty, pretty close to giving up. We're getting, close to, pretty, getting pretty close to giving up. Um, although we still, in our mind, somewhere in the back of our mind, someone's like, open one more door. 
Walk, walk, walk into one more office. Now, you know, email one more person. At this point, we started the nonprofit and I'm telling young kids that I'm going to do this thing, but I'm starting to feel like a fraud because I'm like, I'm looking at my bank account going, we've raised, you know, $50,000. We need 500,000. I'm supposed to leave in a month. Like this is never going to work. And a buddy of mine, he invites me over um, to a spin class at a local uh, LA fitness. And I'm like, I'm a professional athlete. You want me to go to like a local spin class, group (laughs) fitness class? Like I thought I was like too cool for that or something. You know, my ego got the better of me. He's like, trust me, man, just come. Like, there's this woman you should meet. She's cool. Like, you'll like her. She'll inspire you, whatever. And so I walk into this class Sunday morning and he introduced me to this woman. She's like maybe in her mid fifties, but she's fit. She's already riding the spin bike. She's like sweating. She's like going after it. The class hasn't even started yet. And he goes, Hey, Colin, this is Kathy. Meet Kathy. You know, she was a world record holder. Um, and I know you're trying to break a world record. So I thought it'd be cool for you to meet a world record holder. She broke the, and she looks at me, she goes, Oh my God. We, Angela, you're bringing this up. I broke a world record in the late 70s in the 5K. It's like ancient history. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And she goes, well, what are you working on? And I just, you know, give her this quick little spiel. You know, I'm not pitching her. I'm not selling her. I'm in this random spin class. I'm just like, Explorers Grand Slam, nonprofit for kids. You know, the, the 30, 60 second thing that I've told a bunch of people at this point. I'm not thinking of it as an elevator pitch, but I guess it's been refined because I've been told no so many times that I keep trying different stuff, right? And she's like, wow, that's super cool. Good luck with that. And I get on my spin bike and I start spinning, start riding my bike. I start riding my bike and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing in this freaking spin class at the LA fitness at like a local neighborhood in Portland? Like what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I'm just like you know, beating myself up. Finally class ends. I'm like, okay, it was a fine workout. You know, Angela, thanks for inviting me and my buddy. And I say goodbye to Kathy and I'm walking in the door. Kathy goes, wow, I've been thinking about that since I've been on the bike. That's actually super cool. Like, uh, it's amazing. You're going to try that. Are you like looking for, you know, like sponsorships or anything like that? Because uh, I think my husband might really like this. And I'm like, I'm like, my ears perk up. I'm like, oh yeah. She's like, he's over here. He goes, and she calls, she calls the guy over. Hey, hey, honey, come over here. Guy walks over. I tell him the spiel again, the 30 second version. He goes, wow, this is super interesting. Um, I think the company I work at, you know, might be interested in, in helping out if you're looking for sponsors or something. And I'm like, wow. Uh, yeah. Where do, where do you work? And he goes, I work at Nike. I'm like, you know, I'm Portland, Oregon kid. Nike, you know, is like, I think anywhere in the world, most people would say it's like the dream scenario, but truly, you know, you grew up in the, grew up in Portland, Oregon. That's like, you know, the, the place, of course. And he's like, let me get you a card. I'm like, you know, my heart's racing. He reaches into his gym bag and he hands me a card and it says, Mark Parker, CEO, Nike. Wow. That's... <laughs> and <laughs> there's two ways to interpret that story. There's the way that's like, cool. So you just got super lucky. Awesome. Right? Like that's one interpretation of that story. And if that's your standpoint, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but I'm, you're for, certainly welcome to that. My mom loves to say to me, she said to me for a long time, she says, luck comes to those who are prepared. You make your own luck, right? Which is to say the belief in abundance, the belief and there's, there's a sub part of that story, which I won't get into, which is we spent our last penny on a website. We said, well, at least have to have a website if someone ever is interested enough to send them there. We spent all of our money on that. And Mark Parker in this moment actually goes, well, if you have a website or something, email it to me and we can talk. And I was like, yes, I do have a website. That's all I have, but I have that. <laughs> um, but the point being the other way, the less cynical way, the one that, oh, you just got lucky, kid, is... Was it lucky that I knocked on a thousand doors and a thousand people told me no, but I kept pushing forward? Was it lucky that I ended up in that spin class because I told every single person I knew to invite me to anything where I could have the intersection of this? Was it lucky that I spent every last penny on a website so in the off chance that somebody wanted to believe in me that they would have the empower to do that? Yeah, it was a super fortunate circumstance. But I also think that there's that difference between that abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset, right? The abundance mindset says, whatever assets I have, I can employ, whether that's money, time, energy, focus, whatever that is towards your core purpose. I don't want to get too woo-woo, but the universe, whatever you want to call it, energy, momentum, conspires to help. And that has certainly been true in my life. The things that I've accomplished, the success that I've had at this point, the financial resources, et cetera, have all been driven from this place of taking that risk, of not waking up on the morning after you're drunk with your buddy saying you're on the marathon and decide to quit on it, but actually saying, you know what? I'm going to run a mile around my house today. You know, I said I was going to. 
I'm going to try to figure out how to build the Explorers Grand Slam. I'm going to try to figure out how to build my dream. And that was a super long answer to your question. And I apologize for that. Um, you guys got me excited talking to you today. But I will say your, your question was, what are the actual steps that someone after this walk can take? And there's a million different ways, but I'll, a concise answer to that would be when I summited Everest on this Explorers Grand Slam project, when I got to the top of that mountain, um, which was a part of this, of this world record, and that was part of it was the really the childhood dream element of it. I took this tiny little pebble with me off of the summit of Everest and I have carried it around in my pocket for years and years. And I've carried that, po- that rock in my pocket as a reminder that even Mount Everest, whatever our Everest are, but in this case, the actual Mount Everest is really just a bunch of small rocks stacked on top of each other. The path there is many, many, many small steps. The thousand doors slammed in the face, the chance meeting with the guy, the website build, the physical training, the mental training, the setbacks, this, that, that is how you get to the top of there. But it starts with a mindset shift, right? And the 12-hour walk itself, the exercise taking on that challenge empowers you to have the right mindset to begin that journey. Man, that's such an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that with us. That, that, that's amazing. And it, it resonates and lands with us because you're speaking our language and, and what you just said, especially. I mean, what we say is extraordinary success is exponential. And it's not simultaneous. It's the small steps, the dominoes that you line up over time that release extraordinary possibilities for you. And you're really starting with what is your Everest? And what is that big goal someday out into the future that you want to accomplish? And then letting that inform like who is the person that you need to become so that you earn the right to achieve that goal and or are open to the possibilities that it would create. And so when you talk about you know, there's two perspectives about whether or not you were lucky or whether or not you were just prepared. And I think it's being prepared for the opportunities when they present themselves. So I think you did the right thing and clearly the results show it. Clearly. And you know, this, there's an interesting moment I had when you were telling this story, Colin, about mindset, right? It is all about the abundance mindset, about how you perceive things, how how this crazy thing in our body, our brain perceives things. And for the listener, I just want them to sit and think about this for a second. You have people tell you no all the time and you say, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. But when your brain tells you no, for some reason, we shut down. And the abundance mindset and tell me if I'm interpreting this incorrectly, but it's saying, no, you can you can keep going if your brain says no too. Um, and that to me is a pretty powerful thing for all the times that I know I can find this relatable in my life that somebody said no and I've been like, okay, I'm going to show you. Um, but why don't we do that to our brain? It's Totally, right? There's that difference between that external which is, you know, the outward criticism of somebody else or somebody else pushing you away or saying no, but your own interior voice, right? I, there's a, it, it reminds me of an interesting moment uh, in one of my expeditions that, um, so I, I, I've gotten prepared to climb or to, to try this Antarctica crossing, which is going to be the biggest, most challenging thing that I've ever done in my life. My goal was to be the first person in history to cross the entire continent of Antarctica solo and then unsupported, which means no resupplies of food or fuel. So I need to drag a 375 pound sled with me with enough food to get there, which is still not enough food. I'm still on a three thousand calorie deficit, but it's just the heaviest I can possibly pull. And there's no dogs, there's no kites, there's nothing propelling me. It's just mono e mono. So I train for this. I, I call my project the impossible first because I literally think it's probably impossible, but I'm still willing to try it. Um, you know, people thought it was impossible. Someone a few years before me attempted this crossing and he died after 71 days out there and he died with less than 100 miles to go. Another famous explorer attempted it a couple years before me and he ran out of food and fuel and had to be evacuated. Like it didn't really look, it looked on the very edge of possible versus impossible. And I was okay with that. I was okay with this. This might not work, but I'm willing to try it. So I trained all year for it. I'm getting prepped. I'm getting ready. And I'm about to fly down to to South America and then eventually to Antarctica to begin this crossing. And I find out that there is another guy this British, famous British explorer by the name of Captain Lewis Rudd, who's about to attempt this crossing at the very same time as me. And I'm like, what? 
And this guy is a badass of all badass. This guy is like uh, one of the most experienced polar explorers, but he's also like the equivalent of a Navy SEAL in the British military, like just a total badass. And when I say the same time, there's one guy with one plane that can take you to the edge of Antarctica to drop you off to begin this crossing, which means inadvertently, we both called the same one guy, obviously, and picked the same day to get dropped off. So we are now sitting shoulder to shoulder in a cargo plane in Antarctica to get dropped off to not, we both thought we were racing history, right? To be the first in history. We didn't realize there's going to be a head-to-head 1,000-mile race against like the most badass, fierce British dude you'll ever like stare into his eyes. And I'm like, if I'm being honest, like the negative dialogue is going. Like you said, that internal voice, it's like calling this not great idea. Like how the hell did you get yourself into this, right? And so I'm trying to calm myself. I'm trying to act cool in front of him, but if I'm being honest, I'm super intimidated. And we make this gentleman's agreement. We say, okay, um, let's... uh, you know, if we get dropped off literally right next to each other, that's a lot. lot. How about we get dropped off one mile away from each other, but equidistant? I mean, it's a thousand miles, right? Like equidistant to the the end. And we may, that that seems fair. And so we have the pilot drops me off in this little plane that lands on the ice. And then it doesn't even take off again. It just drives for like a few minutes. And I see Lou like jump out. We can wave at each other. And then like, off we go to begin this thousand mile race across Antarctica. It's minus 30 degrees outside brutal as cold you've ever felt when it's just day one that's going to be a multi-month you know 60s plus day journey we think and so i start pulling my sled i start pulling my sled up trained for this i visualize this i just did an interview with the new york times it was like i'm going to be the first to do this thing you know all full of confidence and i started trying to pull my sled and i can't pull it 10 feet literally like i literally can barely move it like all of my strength i'm like grunting like i can't pull can't pull this sled and so much so that I felt so pathetic for myself. I'm like a thousand miles. I can't even go one mile. I start crying. I actually just start sobbing. I full on breakdown, meltdown. I've made it, you know, you know, any bare few feet and I start crying, but it's minus 30 degrees outside. So what happens when it's minus 30 degrees outside and start crying? Well, the tears, they actually freeze to your face. It turns out, which is like the all time, most pathetic feeling of all times. Right. And I'm like, you're like, shit. And so I think to myself, okay, Misery loves company. It's the first day. The sleds are obviously going to get slightly lighter because we're going to eat a little bit of food, whatever. And I'm thinking Lou must be struggling as well. So I finally am like, I'm going to glance over and look in the direction of Lou. He must be struggling. That'll make me feel a little bit better. And I look over my right shoulder to where I expect Lou to be. And I see this full military man in stride, marching, cruising along, just disappearing over the horizon. He is having zero issues at all moving his sled. And he is kicking my ass on day one, day one, hour one, moment one of a thousand mile journey. I do get on the satellite phone with my wife, who's incredibly supportive and loving. I mean, I'm about ready to give up just in this moment. I said, I know we called this thing the impossible first. I guess we named it the right thing. The sure shit is impossible. I can't even go one mile. And she tells me, you know, set up your tent, get inside, rest. Maybe you'll feel differently in the morning. You know, you just need to gather yourself, you know, find your stride, et cetera. So I get inside my tent that night and I, uh, I go to sleep and I set my alarm early. It's actually 24 hours of daylight uh, in Antarctica that time of year. So it's very disorienting. So you wear an eye mask. Like the sun is directly overhead, like high noon, no matter what time of day it is. I go to sleep, alarm goes up early. And I think to myself, okay, today is going to be the day. But when I wake up, when I wake up inside my tent, you know, who's inside this tent with me? It's not Captain Lou. He didn't come back for me. <laughs> uh, who's inside this tent with me? Me, all the worst versions of myself, obviously not really, but it felt like I'm sitting in there and I'm boxed in by the five worst versions of me that are all talking shit back to me. Colin, you're an idiot. Colin, you're a fool. Colin, this is the worst idea ever. Colin, you told the New York Times that you were going to do this. You can't even make it a day. How embarrassing, right? It's exactly what you said, Sarah. Like, it's one thing to say no to other people. Like, I was like, oh, other people say it's impossible. I'm going to prove them wrong. And now I am telling myself, Colin, you are a freaking idiot. This thing is impossible. It is impossible. And you can't even pull your sled. And this is this decision point. This is the moment that is so crucial. Again, you're probably not going to find yourself alone in Antarctica walking grass. If you do, more credit to you. But this, that moment, right? where you can choose to listen to your inner dialogue because it feels like a truth. This is you telling yourself something. But I believe, 
And I think we all know this fundamentally, that we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And I'll say that again, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And in this moment, I am telling myself the worst story about myself. And my only hope of rewriting this is to try to tell myself a different story. And so I literally, this was me grasping at straws, I'll be honest, but I got up outside of my tent, not inside, no longer inside of my own head. But the only way to break through the silence and this you know, bombardment of my own thoughts was I actually yelled at the top of my lungs out loud to the endless Antarctic white abyss that I'm surrounded by. I yell, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. I start yelling it. You are strong. You are capable. You are strong. You are capable. And I, I wish I could say, oh yeah. And then everything was easy. And I pulled my sled across and I got nothing else bad happened. That's not what happened. But it did give me a moment of strength to be like, oh, I get to choose. Just like I get to choose what food I'm putting in my body to nourish myself. I get to choose what thoughts I allow to enter in my brain. And when those negative thoughts come up, you can override them. And that for sure um, makes the difference. You know, spoiler alert, I did catch up to Lou and I passed him and I I'd made it to the end and I survived um, and I was first. But the the essence of that is exactly, I just love what you said, Sarah, about like, why don't you listen to your, why do you listen to your own self? And the point is, is like, you don't have to, you get to rewrite that narrative too, if you want to, but it takes that extra layer of strength and passion to do so. Man, that is, uh, that is such an incredible story. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, on, congrats. Yeah, <laughs> on, <laughs> on getting there first. And so it, we need to bring awareness to what our limiting beliefs are and I think that's the first step you're saying, right? It's just acknowledge what they are and what those different versions of yourself are, you know, positive or negative, and then slowly but surely in find ways to overcome them. And just step one, though, is becoming aware of them. A hundred percent, you know, awareness is the key. And, and the 12 hour walk, this invitation, you know, this book, this global movement that I'm hoping to start my next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this 12 hour walk. Not because I get a dollar for every person that does it. This is free. This is for anyone, right? You know, sign up on my website. It's free. So I can send you some inspirational emails to keep you on track, accountable to this goal that you've set for yourself. But it is awareness and then it's action, right? It's awareness and action. And the 12 hour walk is both of those things. It's an exercise of the mind more than it is exercise of the body on its surface. It's like, Oh God, it's, my legs are going to get tired. My knees are going to get sore. My feet are going to get tired. And like, I'm, take some breaks if you need that, but maintain your silence. That's where you don't get to take any breaks. You don't get to take any breaks with your own silence, your own solitude, working through that. But then of course that action, that movement, the literal walking starts to apply to, oh, I can then take this awareness and take those actions in my life. Start stacking those small rocks to reach your goals, to reach your dreams, to summit the Everest that you dream of. And that's really the the ripple effect, the power on the backside of completing this 12-hour walk. And, And the power that I've seen it have, I've suggested this to numerous people, the books coming out, there's all sorts of people sign up to do it. And to me, that that's the ripple effect of positivity. That that's the world that I want to live in. And people are struggling to have accountability to that because that can be tough. I mean, I, I've had amazing coaches, mentors, people that have held me accountable, my mom, my wife, et cetera. Um, you know, one of the things that I say is the 12 hour walk is to be taken alone in your own thoughts, but you don't actually have to commit to it alone. What I mean by that is two things. One, I'm literally on September 10th. I have already, you know, amassing thousands of people have signed up to do the 12 hour walk on September 10th. We're doing it alone, but together, meaning you're leaving from your front door. I'm leaving from my front door. Someone on the other side of the world is leaving from their front door, but there's a knowledge that there's other people accountable to that. And we'll probably do some meetups and some things to integrate afterwards, which is important. But even in a smaller context, if you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, okay, maybe he's convinced me to take this 12-hour walk, read this book, change my life. I'm in. Sign me I up. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you guys next. So it's, I can't, can count Sarah and I love it, which is you can also be accountable within your own community, right? You can say to your, your, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your best friend, you know, call four friends, your group text that you're on with the old college buddies, whatever, and say, hey... I'm doing this two Saturdays from now. Who's coming with me? And that accountability, again, you're walking out your own front door. You're doing it by yourself. But you're also texting your buddy at 6 a.m. going, hey, it's sunrise here in uh, you know, Jackson Hole. Are you on your front porch in Manhattan? Are you, you know, on your front porch in LA? Whatever. Yep. Okay. We're all leaving right now. Ready, go. Phone goes on airplane mode. 
And in hour three, an hour four, an hour five, when you're struggling, you're having some moments in your own brain, your own mind, you think, okay, well, my sister's out there doing this too. And I don't want to let her down by not finishing when she calls me after this. Maybe you guys agree on a, a meeting point. You meet up for dinner that night or you call each other, you FaceTime each other. The point is, is there is a power in the collective accountability of sharing this experience, although the experience is internal. Because then you get to reflect on on that integration with that person. So it's not the only way to do it. You can certainly, I applaud a lot of people just doing it, doing it by themselves on the day they pick, whatever. But there's also ways to build in accountability to actually make sure you, you do it and hold yourself accountable to that. So Colin, where can people go to to sign up? Because obviously this has been a really powerful conversation and I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of people asking. So what's the website they can go to to do their 12-hour walk? Yeah. So the, the book is called The 12-Hour Walk. The website is 12hourwalk.com. The number is 1212hourwalk.com. Um, there, it's very straightforward. You can sign up. The sign up is as simple as basically giving me your email and putting in a date. Um, and, and the email is not for me to you know retarget your market. You're obviously, it's just for me to send you, you know, it's like, hey, cool. Hey, Sarah, I see you signed up on you know November 5th. You know, I'm cheering for you. And a, a few tips and tricks. On the website, it's full of... Um, and obviously, the book explains in more depth too, but the website as well is self explanatory, you know, it's got FAQs, you know, where do I go to the bathroom? What do I eat? Which shoes should I wear? You know, questions that people probably have understandably for something like this. Um, but it's completely, you know, free to sign up. If September 10th uh, fills your cup, please join us on September 10th. Cause a lot of people will be doing that. Um, and then of course, uh, their, their social media at 12 hour walk. I'm at Colin O'Brady. Um, and lastly, it hasn't launched yet, but it's coming out by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll probably be out, which is there's a 12 hour walk app, um, completely free to download. It's funny that I would have an app for something that's supposed to be about, uh, you know, being <laughs> off your phone. Um, but the reason is this, is that one of the biggest things was people like, but I might get lost. So I was like, shit, people are going to want Google maps. That's totally normal. <laughs> Actually, that's reasonable. I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. I gotcha. I'm not going to force you to have a paper map and wonder where you are. We're all, we're all addicted to that blue dot knowing where the hell we are, right? At any given moment. And so the app quite literally puts your phone on airplane mode and it creates, it allows you to track your walk, see how far you've gone, how much time has elapsed. And it tracks you um, over the course of a Google uh, of Google Maps overlay. So you can see where you've been. Um, so basically I'm helping you be accountable to the airplane mode because taking away this, well, I had to turn my phone on a couple of times because I need I'm like, no, you didn't. Actually, all you had to have was a 12 hour walk app and that's all you needed. You needed the map. Um, so don't give me the excuse about how you had to text five of your friends and post on post on your uh, Instagram account on hour six. Uh, if you want to post about it afterwards, cool. But for these 12 hours, um, you're, you're, you're out of the, uh, you know, switched on connect internet connected digital space. So yeah, website 12 hour walk, download the app, sign up. Um, I am just uh, excited to have this community of like-minded people. And I love that your, your guys as listeners, this podcast is, is, is my kind of people, right? People that are striving for their best, trying to find their one thing, how to put themselves, their why, their purpose, um, you know, their fulfillment. The first, uh, I will literally close by have the book right here. The very first line of this book, um, the one first sentence of the 12 hour walk, I think will appeal to your group, which is what if I told you I found a way to help you live a more fulfilling life? So that's where it starts. Um, pick up the book, take the walk, Sarah. Uh, I know you're joining me, my man, you joining me as well. 12 hour walk. What do you Let's say? Let's do this. <laughs> but not together. <laughs> Separate. Separate. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, well you Colin, guys are fantastic. Thank, thank thanks you so for much me. for yeah. Thanks so much for being on with us. And you're you're an impressive person. You have an incredible story. And I think your your message is powerful and, and our listeners can can relate. I know I certainly can. So thank you so much. And we appreciate you being here. Thanks, Colin. Thank you guys.